Hello and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me as usual. Darcy, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. We've been recording for a couple hours now, so it's finally cooled down in my house and outside. So it's finally starting to, I'm finally starting to feel like a human and not a sweat machine. Mm, it's still 90 degrees here. <laughs> it is about 7.45 in the evening and we are doing a, a recording session because I, I need to take a little break from recording for a little while. So we're getting it all pitched up and ready to go. Yeah. Um, we got some interesting stuff to talk about. We're kind of doing a special episode in honor of summer camp because it is in the middle of the summer here. Yeah. And um, summer camp is a really big thing for a lot of people. But before we jump into that, um, I've got an interesting article. And speaking of camping, okay. uh, I don't know if you saw this. It's um, three children abandoned on island during camping trip. Whoa. South Carolina cops say mom faces charges. Who, what? Where was this? Heaven. Get right into that. Simone okay. Jasper wrote this. A boater stumbled on three children who'd been stranded on a South Carolina island, officials say. Now, a mother accused of leaving her kids behind is facing charges, according to the Anderson County Sheriff's Office. Deputies said the woman's kids, aged 12 to 15, were abandoned on an island in Lake Hartwell. What? The popular destination to water activities lies along the Georgia border, about 65 miles southwest of Greenville. Okay. Evidently, the family was camping alongside the lake when the mom reportedly told the kids she was getting water. Officials said she left the kids on Cemetery Island but didn't come back. I'm sorry, did you say Cemetery Island? Cemetery Island. Absolutely not. But did not come back, prompting a search for her on Monday, June 13th. That same day, deputies said a person boating on the lake discovered the abandoned kids. Their mom was later found arrested and charged with three counts of unlawful neglect of a child. Oh my gosh. Officials in their news release didn't say where the woman was located or why she didn't return. The mother's boyfriend who'd been on the camping trip and left the island with her was still reported missing as of early, as of early June. He was what? wanted on several charges himself, the sheriff's office said. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Like, I hey don't kids. Even understand what's happening when you're telling me this story. Hey kids, let's go on a camping trip. Wait right here. Mommy's gonna go get some water. <laughs> and then she leaves them. She's like, we're gonna go to asylum, we're gonna go camping, I'm gonna get some water, I'll be right back, and then leaves. Uh, like, did she have a motorboat? Like, did they row over there? Like, how did they get there? It would have like, had to have been, need, a, like, a motorboat. Like I that. need details. I need details on this bed. Yeah, there's a lot of information. There's a lot of questions. Did she I intend to now. come back? Like, what happened to the boyfriend? Like, I just, I need answers on this one. Yeah. And Cemetery Island. Ugh. Yeah, no, that's a hard no. Look, I don't, look, I don't F with it. I don't F with lakes. We've already discussed this. There's bodies there. There's lakes in Georgia that are literally built on old cities and they're haunted as hell. And I'm just not doing it. I don't, I don't do lakes. It's a hard note for you. Hard note. We've discussed this. I am very passionate in my anti-lake stance. I am firm. This will not change. These were teenagers though. They weren't super young kids. They were between like 12 and 15. So like maybe she was just like, I've had it. You, you guys are bad. I'm leaving you here. I mean, I know I shouldn't laugh about this because like, child, child abuse and neglect are very serious allegations. But and again, yeah, I want to say like, these are allegations because she has not been tried in court yet. But right. wow. 
And why do I feel like this is something my own mom would have done? <laughs> oh no, it's not great. No. <laughs> anyway, um, I mean, maybe not in a serious way, but she, right. she would have come back to get us eventually. But she would have been like, you guys need to learn a lesson. <laughs> but anyway. I think not, my mom would have been like, you guys need to stretch. Well, first of all, my mom, we never would have gone to a lake island. Um, we because she also holds your she also holds your opinion about lakes being bad. No, she doesn't. She's actually a very logical and very smart person. But we, wait, my dad how is that opinion how not logical and smart? My, because my opinion, because my the reason I don't like lakes is because there's dead bodies under there. Yeah, but and I not my every fear lake has is a, an arm is going to disarticulate and float <laughs> oh up and hit me. God. So that's why I say my mom is very smart and very logical. And that, no, she does not fear lakes like I do. She actually grew up on the water. But my dad doesn't know how to swim. So, like, we just would never have gone to a lake, like, an island on a lake. So, like, that would have been never, never something that we would have done. But I could have seen my parents, like, threatening to leave my sister and I somewhere. Like, just saying, if you guys don't stop arguing, because we, we fought right. all the time growing up, that they would be like, okay, we're just going to leave. We're not going to be around anymore. They would have never, ever, 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 ever done it. But I could, I could kind of see them saying that. <laughs> Threatening that, <laughs> but not actually using it. Right. It's one of those things like, don't make me pull this car over. Because, oh, yeah, that one was used a lot because I can't even tell you. My sister and I truly, like, all we did was argue. Girl. Yeah, or they all would we say, did. we're going to get a switch. Don't make me get the spanking. Don't make me get oh, the spanking see, stick. And the thing is, we, we didn't really get spanked. They just threatened it. We, we, we knew, see, this was the thing. My parents also told us from very early on that they were no spanking parents. Oh. So there was a lot of go to your rooms and a lot of taking away of activities and, like, games and things like that. But, but we knew we were never going to get hit, so. Yeah. So there was always that. Right. But anyway. Okay. Switching gears yet again. That's like my favorite thing to say now. Switching gears. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's talk about productivity. Right? Yes, so let's. you and I are both super busy. You're pursuing a PhD. I have 10 million irons on the fire. I'm working hard. Yeah. I get done with my normal day's work. It's eight hours of work, and then I write or podcast. So my work day ends up being 12, 14 yeah. hours most nights. Okay. So how do you figure out how not to have the jitters, how not to have an energy crash, how to maintain that consistent level of energy throughout the day, be, pro be productive, have you know good thoughts and like really be creative and interesting and, and just maintain that energy throughout the day. And the answer to that was provided to us by our friends at Magic Mind. I used to drink a bunch of chai tea and sugary drinks and get the jitters and get you know sugar crashes and all that, but I had this two ounce shot of Magic Minds. It's like a matcha flavored yeah. delicious drink. Um, and I drink yeah, mine at really room temperature. Is. You can drink it chilled. You can put it on the ice. You can put it in a smoothie or whatever. Um, it's a great product and it's really like changed how I work in the mornings. Yeah. And so for me, getting a PhD, working full time, doing this, that, and the other, also having chronic insomnia, my work day kind of goes from like eight to four then i try and work out or i try and nap i may or may not have dinner then i'm like in bed by eight o'clock and i'm not sleeping till 11 o'clock but then i'm up till two so i might sometimes i'll work two to four a.m so it's just a whole mess yeah. so i put some coffee away you guys like i have to budget for how much coffee i buy wow 
Um, <laughs> it's it's excessive. So once they sent us this, this is something that like I take a little shot with my cup of coffee in the morning. Um, and it has considerably reduced how much coffee I have. Like I was drinking probably like four or five cups every day. Yeah. I'm probably down to like one to two, which is. Which just makes you feel so much healthier, right? And for me, it's replaced my chai tea. It's, I don't yeah. drink it anymore. And it gets me out of the cycle of putting a, like drinking so much caffeine that I'm drinking caffeine into the afternoon, which then affects my ability to sleep at night. And then I'm exhausted that I'm drinking more caffeine. It's a vicious cycle. So this is kind of helping me get out of that while I'm able to still be as productive as I have been. Yeah, absolutely. And what's in it that creates all these good things? Yeah, so I really like that there's a lot of natural ingredients in this. So there's L-theanine, and when paired with caffeine, so you can take this with your caffeine, and you don't have to get rid of caffeine completely if you're like me and you just need it. The L-theanine helps increase your focus and attention. There's Bacopa Monieri, which helps with procrastination. They call it like a natural Adderall. And there's ashwagandha and rhodiola rosea, which help with stress and low-grade anxiety because I don't know about you, but when I don't sleep, I get a lot of anxiety and then I get a lot of stress and it just compounds and it just gets awful. Yeah. And then there's also lion's mane and cordyceps mushrooms that boost clarity and focus. So all of these things help you maintain your energy throughout the day while still being able to focus on all the things that you need to get done. Yeah. So and it does taste legit really good. It does. And I'm super picky about what I'll drink because I don't drink coffee for that exact reason. It tastes like oh, well, nasty. Not sane. And I but... can't. This is really good. So yeah. excellent, excellent choice. If you're like me, and I hope you are, I totally recommend you go check this out. It's at magicmind.co. Yeah. So magicmind.co, C-O backslash bizarre, B-I-Z-A-R-R-E. And then we have a discount code that's Bizarre 20, so B I Z A R R E 20, and that's going to get you 20% off your subscription of these little delicious drinks. And that's Magic Mind, M A G I C M I N D dot C O. Yeah. Um, we'll put that into the show notes as well in case you guys want to go check that out and click on that and get yourself some good stuff. Do you recommend that you can feel good about, right? Yeah. So feel like you're doing something good for your body. For okay. Sure. Main stuff for the day. Where are we at, Dars? All right. Take so it. Cha-cha. <laughs> this is a case that I actually was able to sit down and write. Yay. Uh, but I need to say up front right now, there is a trigger warning because this story involves sexual abuse of children. Oh, boy. So if this is your opportunity to turn the episode off now, if that's something you are sensitive to, but... Keep in mind that we will still in the show notes put all of the resources and all the sources um, for this information on uh, uh, in our show notes, as well as resources if you are a survivor or if you have experienced sexual abuse yourself. Um, that those resources will still be available to you in the show notes. You don't have to listen to this. Okay. So, so I want to talk about a summer camp where I worked for two seasons. So this was a, this was a previous life. I was an undergrad and this is the reason I say it was a previous life is because this camp is a Christian sports-based camp and it is located in the Branson area. So like Southern Missouri. And I have said on the show before, I'm not religious. This was back when I was very young and it, the evangelical movement was like the thing to be part of. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So this organization is called Canacuc, and it's, I believe, it's a Native, it's derived from a Native American term, I believe. I don't know what it means. Um, Probably something along the lines of, we stole your land, but um, it's spelled K-A-N-A-K-U-K. And I didn't even notice or know this until I started researching for this episode, but this camp, this organization goes back to like the 30s. Wow. So it started as a small boys only camp in outside Branson and then it kind of expanded to where they have it's a massive evangelical Christian camp organization and they have co-ed camps with and they have camps for different ages so like it's literally different campuses for different age groups so there's like elementary school age middle school age high school age and then there's like other like adventure specific like if you like outdoorsy like rock climbing stuff there's like a camp for that and things like that um So they have six different camps in the Branson area, and they also have a national outreach program. And this camp is a really big deal in the evangelical world, at least in the South and Midwest. Like, I don't know nationally, but, like, once I got to college and heard about it, it was, like, all the cool kids were doing this. Like, it was, like, the popular Christian kids were were participating in this camp, right? Okay. So, um... They, they recruit counselors from colleges and it is like a really big deal to like, to, as a competition for like your college to see how many people that you can get to work there. So like there's competitions between colleges and I don't want you to think this camp is something that is like for the everyday kid, because that would be very misleading. This camp is for the upper middle to upper class folks across the country but because of its location it primarily draw campers from missouri arkansas oklahoma texas kansas um so wealthy families in those areas yes and when i say wealthy okay so you can send your kid for either two two weeks or for a month that's like kind of the traditional term a month is going to run you about five thousand dollars and there are some kids who go for the entire summer. So that's three, three months. And that's the demographic that they are catering to, right? And according to their websites and all the rep- websites I looked at for this, this story, they get about 20,000 plus kids per year. Wow. The, yeah. So like this is, they, I mean, and it's, it's, it's a for-profit Organization, so they're they're just making money, hand over foot. So, I mentioned that they have a national outreach program, and I want to kind of very briefly talk about that because that is something that they provide for kids who can't afford to go to the camp, and they still get the camp experience in their own cities. Wow. The the way this is worded though is very problematic because this is a camp that caters to the quote urban youth unquote so if you're unfamiliar with the systemic racism of the evangelical movement that basically means black children okay so that is kind of the other side to this camp so that's basically like saying inner city kids right and so like i said the the focus of these camps is very sports specific and i don't know how it works at like the younger kids camps i worked at the camp for middle schoolers but at the, at the and at the middle school and high school age camps, like you signed up 
for a specific sport that you wanted to focus on. And so you'd have your daily schedule where you would do the normal camp things, like you do swimming, canoeing, archery, you know, this, that, and the other. But then you would have like multiple classes a day. It was kind of like a class schedule, like in school, but you would have like multiple periods a day where you went to your sport specific classes and like you did like drills. So I was there obviously to teach volleyball. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also lifeguard certified, so I also helped out with that, you know, everything like that, too. But being a Christian camp, they also had all the church services, the baptisms, the whole the whole nine. Um, and a very big topic of when I was working there, a very big topic of discussion at these during these religious conversations was purity. And I don't know if that is because it was the 2000s and we were very much in the George W. Bush evangelical abstinence only era or if that is how the camp has always been and is still today. I don't know. I only worked there for two or three summers, right? But that was a big topic of conversation. Purity and virginity and obviously things like sex before marriage, that was a big sin, a big no-no. But it was also more subtle things like girls had to wear one-piece bathing suits because they didn't they couldn't tempt the boys with their bodies you know so very patriarchal it's it's the women's fault they have to cover up to maintain the purity because it is their fault if the boys think lustful thoughts about them that kind of thing like the duggars where they the women are in charge of making sure the men they have the code word to make the men look down if a girl walks by yes it's like that but they don't they they're they're i mean i guess the yeah, idea is like that it's it's not necessarily the quiverful movement but it is very similar in those particular ideologies um but the other thing is it's also kind of that thing where if you talk about sex so much and how sex is bad and purity is good and virginity is good and you want to stay away from putting yourself in a situation where you might be tempted to have sex if that's all you're talking about it becomes that thing where you're like don't look down and then of course you're tempted to look down because that's all you're talking about even though you're saying it's bad, that's still all you're talking about is sex, right? So you so were a counselor those... here for a couple of summers when you were in college? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's, and this is all kind of stuff that I didn't think was weird because again, I was very young. I was in the evangelical movement. That was basically the hot topic of conversation was like, don't have sex before you get married. Don't put yourself in these situations. This and the other. So back in 2003, when I first started finding out about the camp and applying to be a counselor, it was like the biggest deal to be selected. Like it made you one of the cool kids, right? The high school camp, the camp for the high school kids required their counselors to be division one athletes. Like that's how serious it was like to teach these sports is bonkers. So, and it was, like I said, it was very popular for certain colleges. And every year there was like a competition to see which college could get the most counselors working at the camps. And Auburn was a major contributor to the staff at these camps. I think maybe in the top five schools as far as personnel. So it's also one of those places where you had kids that attended as campers when they were younger. And then once they got to college, they worked there as counselors. So like there was legacy involved and all of that stuff too. And the way they recruit is they do have people that they that work there full time that live in Branson area year round, and they kind of go out to different college towns or different areas where they have a lot of a lot of campers and things like that. 
and they kind of host events. Um, and they organize events for you to meet the people who work there and meet other counselors from your school, et cetera. And they also use this opportunity to reach out to the younger community to get campers there, right? So they host events at like local churches and youth groups, et cetera. And one of the people who was, he, he was an Auburn graduate, he was a full-time staffer and he was like the person who recruited Auburn counselors was a guy named Pete Newman. And Pete started as a camp counselor back in 1995. So he was a student at Auburn in 95. And by all accounts, like Pete is like the best counselor in the world. Like everybody loves Pete. Like he worked there through his entire college years and he eventually gets hired on full time to work at Canacook as a full time staff member. And he's a director of the, um, of one of the camps for elementary school kids. And he's also an ambassador for the camp, so he travels the country to spread like the Canacuck mission and keep up with families who send their kids to the camp and recruit campers, counselors, etc. So when I met when I'm at Auburn, I met Pete maybe once or twice. I can't say I knew him well because I only met him a handful of times. But like you could tell, this guy was like the definition of the cool camp counselor. Like all the other counselors from Auburn loved him. All the kids loved him like he would play four square and like he was just like really like he was buddies with the kids you know what I mean mm-hmm. um and the other thing and like so male counselors wanted to be like him and I'm sure that there were more than an, a few female counselors that had a crush on him I was not one of those I can probably say but the other thing about this this camp is that while they're preaching purity culture they are also very much trying to set the counselors up with each other so like they have events where the male and where they have like male and female counselors where they sit together and they have like conversations and icebreakers and they talk about these three things and like they very much want them to get together and be couples so that they can say these counselors met at our camp and they have a wonderful faith-based marriage blah 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 blah. Hmm. Yeah. So again, everything is really focused on sex, but in the ways where they're telling you not to have sex, but they're still talking about sex all the time. Okay. Okay. Yes. So it's also not, it's also a really big deal for counselors to maintain relationships with the families of the campers. So like, it's not unusual, or at least it wasn't when I was working there, um, to hear about counselors that like have long-term relationships with families of long-term campers. So like they would go on vacations, family vacations with them uh, because so their weird. kid had like such an amazing experience at camp and that counselor was a very big part of it and also by the way the family's paying for the counselor to go on this trip you know what i mean that's weird so not weird to hear about that weird to say it now in hindsight because it's obviously very weird but it was not unusual to hear at the time so that's the camp that i knew that's the camp i worked at and that's that's basically the outward facing canacock and that's kind of along the experiences I had. And if I had seen her or heard anything different, I really hope that you guys will trust that I would be honest and tell you guys. Okay. Because um, we're about to get into it. So I worked in there. I worked there the summers of 2003, 2004, maybe 2005. I don't know. And remember. you said this camp is still going? Yeah. Oh. Okay. We're, we're going to get way into it. 
So in 2009, a story comes out that shocks just about everybody that's involved with the camp. And I don't know if it was a national story, but it was definitely like a major story in the evangelical circles in the South and the Midwest. And in 2009, Pete Newman, the Auburn grad, rock star of Canacuck, is arrested and charged with second degree statutory sodomy, two counts of sexual misconduct with a child younger than 15, and enticement of a child younger than 15. According to the arrest affidavit, the charges stemmed from incidents between 2005 to 2008 involving four boys. And then, so that's the public record when, when, when he gets arrested. That's the public story. And then you have more information that starts to come out. According to the arrest affidavit, the uh, a Taney County, which is where Branson is, Taney County, Missouri, detective said that Newman worked at, quote, at a slow pace, and he groomed his victims by hanging out and meeting their parents and thereby gaining their trust. He also held sleepovers and sent letters and emails to teen boys. In addition to all of that, he held nude one-on-one Bible study sessions. Nude one-on-one Bible study sessions in his hot tub at his personal house. Pete was married with kids at this point, too. What? So he would... It's a very slow, long process of grooming, and being a camp and very masculine, it was like, like playing the boys playing on teams with shirts and skins was like not a, not even a big deal. Like that was just something that you did. And they had my camp, and I know at the at the other camps they had like just a big room of showers, shower heads for communal showers. Um, so kids are just like. And, and you, you live in a cabin together for two weeks to a month. So it it's all these things that, like, it's so upsetting because I it's all these things that when I was there, it didn't seem, it just seemed like summer camp and a sports thing. And, and then, you know, in hindsight now, it's just, but, so, anyway. Um, so he obviously at his house is where many of the sexual assaults were alleged to occur and i'm reading this that's directly that information is directly from an article from the 2009 arrest and since the that time there's been a lot more information that's come out about pete in the camp and that's kind of why i'm going to get into but also included in the 2009 arrest affidavit are other abusive activities like they would go, they would sneak out of their cabin at night and go streaking. They would go skinny dipping and they would play like basketball at night in the nude. Ew. It was just, he made it a thing where it was a, okay to be nude around campers and be nude around each other. He made that okay. <sighs> and that's how he groomed them. So right before he's arrested and right before all of this comes out, Pete writes a confession letter to the CEO of the camp, that's a man named Joe White. And in in the letter, he's obviously immediately fired by Canacook. They confiscate his his um, laptop, but he's also released on bail on the condition that he surrender his passport and not have any contact with children under the age of 17. Because, you know, honor code. Because he's a Christian. What? So, but his, the confession that he wrote, it didn't just include the four boys from the arrest warrant. He listed approximately 15 boys that he had sexually abused. However, in a signed statement, Joe White said he knew of the naked hot tub sessions 
Who's Joe White? Mu- Joe White is the CEO. He's the owner of all of these camps. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, so he knew of the hot tub sessions. He knew of the mutual masturbation. He knew of the... Mutual masturbation? Camp. Yeah. What the... F- um, so he says in a signed statement he knew of these things, but he also says in a signed statement nothing about bringing this up to law enforcement. And again, before all of this comes out, Joe goes on an apology tour with his private plane where he's flying to families of the survivors and um, probably the wealthiest ones, the ones that give, you know, send their kids a lot and they donate a lot of money to the, the other. The families of the victims. Yeah, he is, he is flying to make personal visits to these victims and he is essentially Trying buying them sued. off with like, yeah. He's buying them off with very lavish gifts. He's offering them free camp tuition. He's offering them Disney vacations and iPads, new iPhones, all of this stuff. Um, Only after this became public did the camp send a letter to all of the campers and the camp counselors. And I don't remember if it was a physical letter or an email, but I definitely remember reading it. And... In there, it said, you know, oh, we have a very strict background check policy and extensive training in place for all staff regarding appropriate behavior with kids. And that is a little bit true because I worked there. I went through that training. So they, before they have, I did the background check and before they have the actual campers come in, they bring in the the counselors for like two weeks and they have a little mini camp where they basically learn the rules of the camp. And there's things in there, the like, obvious things, like, you, you know, don't be alone with a camper one-on-one without anybody else present. The counselors are not allowed to shower at the same time as the, camp, as the campers. Like, o- very obvious things that, you know, but then there's also other weird rules. Like, there's rules like no streaking or no skinny dipping and no peeing off the porch. And you're like, why are these rules? And, and, and looking back, it's like, because boys like to pee outside and like to pee off things. My brothers did that. They peed out of their bedroom window. It's a boy thing. Sure. Right. But the fact that there's... But again... But the streaking and, and the nudity and all that now, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's so... So anyway. Um, and then the rest of the notes, the, the letter said, you know that Pete was dealing with a personal family crisis and it asked everybody to respect his privacy and keep him in our prayers. Oh, That's how the note brother. ended. Yeah. Um, so in 2010, Pete Newman pleaded guilty to seven counts of sexually abusing boys. He received two life sentences plus 30 years. So he's gone. Bye. Um, and then, so then you have the civil suits and one complaint alleges that there are at least 57 victims. I'm sure there are probably hundreds if that camp has been going on for that long. The prosecutor estimates the real number could be in the hundreds. And Canacuck, the organization, has paid out seven-figure settlements to some of these families because, frankly, they can afford it. In 2018, wow. the organization brought in $35 million. Wow. That's, a, that's an $8 million profit for one summer. I mean, well, for one year, because they do year-round events, but the big money maker is the summer camp. 
So according to one lawsuit, the camp started getting complaints about Pete's behavior in 1999. A parent complained about him skinny dipping and riding a four-wheeler naked with a camper. And remember, he, a boy camper, all of his, all of his victims were boys. And remember, he worked at the camp and became director of the camp for the elementary aged. So Pete's supervisor, was a man named Will Cunningham, he wrote a performance evaluation for Pete and said that he had held one-on-one sleepovers with boys. And in 2003, Joe White received a complaint that Pete had been playing naked basketball with campers. He would, like, local kids, because there were kids that lived in St. Louis, there were kids that lived in, in Kansas City, there's kids that lived within driving distance to the camp, and or with, within driving distance to Branson, and he would, like, hey, let's have, a, like, a one-on-one Bible session, and you can trust me, and your kid can stay at my house with my family, not a big deal. Like, he, that's, that's what he would do. No basketball. No naked basketball, right? Um, actually, I don't know if he had a family in, in 2003, so I just, but I, but he would host one-on-one sleepovers. So, um, so in 2003, Joe White gets a complaint about playing naked basketball, and in response, Canicut created a set of rules specifically for Pete. Uh, I said, but he's not kicked out. He just gets his own rules. No, he's not kicked out. This document is signed by Pete on October 22nd, 2003. This is six years before he's arrested and a few months after I worked my first summer there. Again, not not at the same camp, but in the organization. This is so twisted on so many levels. It's, this is really hard for me to read. I don't know if you guys are picking up on that. It was hard for me to write, but it was really hard for me to read too. Um, and it's hard for me to just, anyway. Um, then, two years after Pete's arrest in 2011, another counselor from freaking Auburn is arrested for abusing three boy campers over Wait, a span of four Pete weeks. where was from, Auburn? He's oh, from boy. Auburn. Lee Bradbury is his name. He's found guilty of second degree statutory sodomy, oh. sexual misconduct, two counts of child, mor- and two counts of child <sighs> molestation. It is unclear. I do not know if he was a, ca- a camper who then became a counselor. He was at the same camp as Pete. I don't know. I don't know if they found each other. I don't, I don't know anything other than he was arrested and he has been convicted. But according to Canacuck, these are just a couple bad apples and they're not representative of the organization. Wow. And I'll say there, I would agree it's not representative of a, the vast majority of counselors, at least the ones I knew. But the more information that has come out, this is very representative of the organization. They could have prevented all of this. All of it. Because in the wake of all of this, there have been some investigative reporters and former campers and counselors that have come forward. And they have come out with a bunch of stories about known sexual abuse in the Canacuck organization dating back to the 80s. So in 1987, a former staff member, his name was Corby Dale Grimes, he was fired for sexual misconduct with campers, but that's not reported to law enforcement. 
He is later caught abusing children as a youth pastor at another institution and convicted in 2002. Joe White's private pilot, Robert John Morgan, is indicted in 2000 on charges of sodomizing a female victim under the age of 14. And while, so while he's awaiting trial, Joe White invites him to live on Kennecook property. And he also testified to the judge prior, after conviction, prior to sentencing, that he would have no problem allowing this man to babysit his own children, and he encouraged the judge to sentence him to probation instead of prison. He was sentenced to 10 years. So, Pete Newman was a predator at the camps between 1999 and 2008 that we at least know of. And once that became public, Joe started lavishing gifts on the victims, like I said, but it got to the point where even some victims had to ask him to stop contacting them. And I believe one victim in, I believe Texas, got a protective wow. order that he stopped contacting him and his family. Because it was basically becoming harassment of him trying to buy their silence. Um, in 2011, another, a former counselor named wow. Ed Ringheim he was a former counselor and a, at the time, a current volunteer with the camp, was charged with eight felony counts of sexual assault and sentenced to 15 years. Lee Bradbury was convicted in 2012, like I said. Also in 2012, a former counselor named Paul Kerr, um, who was hired in 1998, pleaded guilty to felony sex assault of a child and two other misdemeanor charges. And in 2013, Kennecook begins to settle the civil suits, which conveniently come with a non-disclosure agreement for the families and survivors involved, me meaning they cannot publicly discuss the abuse they suffered. And I believe right. this also applies to any therapy sessions or mental health um, assistance that they may seek out. I believe they are prevented from discussing this in those sessions as well. Yeah, but you can't prevent somebody from talking to a counselor, a mental health counselor, about something I, like that. You can prevent public, but you can't prevent somebody from from seeking mental health. You can't I believe, prevent that. That's I don't, not, you know, I don't, that's not I'm not privileged here with the legality, but I believe that that is the case for what they have tried to get these families to commit to. Um, in 2015, at Liberty University, which... God, we're not even going to get to Liberty University. It's a super messed up evangelical college. Um, Joe White shared a story about an interaction he had with a rape, rape victim where he said, as a result of their conversation, she was able to gain back her purity and virginity. Yeah. What? This is 2015. And first of all, let me say, if you are a victim of sexual assault, you do not lose your purity or virginity or whatever false notion of these things that you have that was something that was taken from you with, without your consent and you can only consent to give your body away. So just want to say that. Um, in that same speech at Liberty University, he described a man who had been a victim of incest, sexual abuse by his father, and he asked the listeners to forgive their abusers in order to be freed from resentment. So it's more weight on your shoulders if you don't forgive the person who abused you. He mentioned nothing about the abuser. So, since then, there have been numerous former camp campers and counselors who have come forward with stories of suffering, of, of abuse themselves, or of seeing inappropriate behavior from counselors 
One former counselor said that while he was working at the camp in 2002, he and his co-counselors, because there's always two counselors assigned to a cabin, they witnessed a third counselor sleeping in a closed sleeping bag with a shirtless child straddling the counselor's bare chest. What in the... And this was reported to that camp director, and the explanation was given that the offending counselor should be allowed to remain on staff because... Canacuck's ministry to the counselors is just as important as their ministry to the to the campers and that the counselor clearly had issues that that they needed to work through so it was important that he remain on staff in order to be ministered to wow they never reported this to the child's family another former camper who agreed to be identified in reports her name is jody jones was a camper in 1985 when she was sexually assaulted by a counselor named Chuck Price. At the time, Jody didn't report her abuse, probably because it was 1985 and she was eight years old. Yeah. Um, Even though she was a victim, so if you do something like that back then, number one, they would go straight after your character. And number two, yep. there was no protection for young girls and young boys being abused. It was just well, and they very likely wouldn't believe her. All kinds of other stuff. It's so. an adult it's versus awful. a child, and they're very likely not going to take the uh, the child's word for right. it. Awful, you know. So, so nothing was done about that incident. And in '85 or '86, another female camper reported that Chuck Price had sexually assaulted her on a Canacuck sponsored bus mm-hmm. trip. So she did come forward, and she told the camp leadership, and the staff member who received the report confirmed that they received the report and did pass it along up the chain of command, but later expressed regret that they didn't investigate it further because obviously nothing happened. So that is a, that is a remorseful staff member, I will say. Um, they did what they thought they needed to do, but it wasn't, it wasn't sufficient. Um, then in 1990, Jody Jones goes back to camp and again sees Chuck Price is still working there. So this time she gathers the courage to tell a counselor what happened to her in 1985 and they and the camp staff leadership confronted Chuck Price. He confessed and he was fired and Canacuck reported to Jody Jones and her mother that this... You mean they're not going to just minister him? No, they're not going to minister him because... <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe that's a policy they ad- the adopted later. I don't know. But they basically say, look, we took care of it. We fired this counselor. They did not tell either victim or their victim's families about the other incident. So um, they also convinced them not to go to law enforcement because the questioning about the incident would be traumatizing for Jody. So they were never, yeah, they, they were never told about the second incident, like I said. And as of, I believe this year, Chuck Price is a girls volleyball coach in St. Louis. And he has continued to a volunteer with Canacook Associated Ministries until at least February of this year. Wow. So this means that, like you said earlier, like you asked earlier, Canacook and its various quote-unquote ministries are still in operation today and despite the stories gaining publicity and partly because of the non-disclosure agreements the organization signed with so many of the survivors joe white and many of the same people involved with canacock 
when Pete Newman was there and subsequently when I was there are still involved and they face no consequences. Wow. And like I said, I had heard when, when I was first kind of getting into this story, because I remember when it came out in 2009, but there's been some more stuff that has come out recently. And when I was talking to, to one of my friends who also worked at this camp with me, she had mentioned that there's a podcast about all of this. And so I was trying to look that up. I wasn't able to find it, but I did see that Kanakuk releases their own podcasts, of course, and the names of the people that they have guests hosting these episodes or they have hosting these podcasts are the people that I worked under when I was there. And so to see their names still associated with this camp after knowing what they know is just deeply disappointing. And like I said, I have not read seen or heard about any abuse happening at the camp that I worked at that and you didn't see anything yourself I didn't see anything myself and that and that that does not mean it didn't happen at the camp I worked at um but it's 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 incredibly disappointing to see the names of these camp directors from that time so so actively involved knowing what they know now knowing there are actual convictions in place for actions that took place over yeah. the decades at this camp yeah and it is becoming more public there's more stories coming out about it vice i think has done an article about it ministry watch has done multiple articles about it there's um two investigative journalists david and nancy french who are actively currently still investigating other counselors that have allegations against them whose names I'm not going to mention because these are allegations at this point. Um, Unfortunately, I think that there is now a huge body of cases against coaches, teachers, yeah. camp counselors, things of that nature that are now coming out and coming to light. I mean, it, it all started with the stuff with the Catholic priesthood and the, the priests and things like that. And then there was the gymnastics coach and do- or the doctor, the gymnastics doctor. I mean, mm-hmm. it's coming out now in droves, and people well, are now like coming, coming forward and telling their experiences, and it's horrific. And the whole Penn State thing. I mean, and the, that's the thing about athletics is, you send your kid to an athletics camp because you inherently trust the coaches. I I've never had an inappropriate coach experience with a coach. So I wouldn't think that that's something that I would have to worry about if I had a kid sending them to camp. Yeah, but how would you even know? If no one ever sat down and talked to you about what an inappropriate relationship was, how would you know that you had one? Until you became an adult that's and true. learned that that was not appropriate. That's true. Yeah, I don't, yeah, so... Which is why I think a lot of this is now coming forward. These people are realizing, oh my God, this is not normal. Yeah, 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 that's 100% true. And and so... um. There is an advocacy website that has been created by survivors and former campers and counselors, and that contains information against all of the counselors that have been convicted, but they also have a petition where you can go and sign to encourage Canacuck to release these survivors from their non-disclosure agreements to allow the healing process. And I wanna put a link to that in the show notes so people can sign it if they are interested, or just to go and read about this um, to get more information about this. Um, and even after everything I've already discussed, like there's so, this is just the tip of the iceberg and it's so upsetting. And if you just Google Canna you will find stories upon stories of them 
discouraging campers to come forward, of them knowing of things happening and not doing anything about it. Um, That's really unfortunate. It's just um, it's just rampant, and yeah. and at the very least, there needs to be a change of leadership, and Joe White need and the others need to be held accountable for covering for actively covering up decades of abuse. My personal opinion is I think that the camp should be shut down and the property sold, and that money should go to the survivors, but. That's my personal opinion. It is still a very popular Christian summer sports camp. And it's heartbreaking to to know that there was a time when I was... Part of that legacy? Part of it at at the same time that these awful things were going on. And I feel in in some ways responsible for not knowing, even though I couldn't have known. It's something that people hide. But I, I, I feel so ashamed that I was involved with this camp yeah. and that's kind of why I wanted to tell the story because it's just it's completely horrific well I mean I had a camp experience myself it wasn't anything like that but it was not a good experience I mean I was a camp counselor for years I started yeah. when I was in high school my freshman year of high school I started camp counseling I was a director for the Campfire Day Camp out of the city that I grew up in, mm-hmm. and I ended up going to be a camp counselor at a very, and I can't say the name of this camp because it's still going on right now, and they don't have any lawsuits or anything against mm-hmm. them, so it could amount to defamation if for some reason they don't like what I'm saying, but I was a camp counselor at a girls camp in Maine summer between my sophomore and junior years and they flew us out from Seattle to Maine and we had to attend just like you were saying a two-week training session Mm -hmm. at which point I was brought into the director of the camp's office and told that they had done a background investigation on me and determined that I was unfit to be a counselor for the children what yeah And the reason that I was unfit was because my mother had had a report of child abuse with with the Child Protective Agency, which I thought those were confidential. Right. But I don't know how they found... I didn't even know that information. I didn't know that she'd had a complaint against Child Protective Services. I had no idea. But I was then... They wouldn't fly me home. They wouldn't let me go home. And they told me that I would have to stay in a special cabin outside and away from the campers. I would not be able to teach and I would not be able to stay with the campers for the whole summer. So I had to have a side cabin where there were seven other girls, and it was a girls only camp, where there were seven only girl, other girls who they determined were unfit to be camp counselors. What in the world? And I was like 19, I had no idea. It was my first time ever on an airplane and I was stuck in Maine for the entire summer just sitting in a cabin out in the middle of nowhere because they said that I wasn't fit to be a camp counselor. Oh my God. And this camp, the tuition was around 15 grand for a summer. Yeah. Which was June through August. Yeah. And it was prestigious families. The Revlon kids were there. I mean, they were all kinds of very, very wealthy families sent their young girls to this camp. And it was the same kind of thing. They had sports training sessions. They had hired me to do volleyball and track and mm-hmm. field. And I didn't get to do any of that because I wasn't, I had to stay in a cabin by myself for the whole summer. I was there for three months. So like you go for the first two weeks for yeah. training and then you're there for another two and a half months while the camp counselors are there. You don't switch session. The same girls are there for the whole summer. Some girls leave early and come early, but it's the same group of girls for the whole summer, mostly. Yeah. 
Um, and they had armed guards out in the woods. It was out, it was on a lake out in the middle of nowhere. And they literally had armed men with very large machine guns walking through the woods to protect the campers. Oh I mean, gosh. it was wild. They had specific songs that were supposed to be sung each day during each session. They had very specific um, processes in place where each thing had to be done every day in a certain order. And each cabin had, you know, six counselors. It was really tightly regimented. And for some reason, they had determined that I was a bad influence and not allowed to interact with campers. Even though I'd been a camp counselor my whole life and continued to be a camp counselor after that experience and a director yeah. for a day camp. It was wild. I mean, I, I didn't, crazy. I never had any experiences like yourself. I never had right. any um, unusual experiences, no nudity, no inappropriate behavior from counselors. Or, and I never saw any inappropriate behavior from counselors either. Mm -hmm. But it, I have heard stories from other people, friends, about experiences they had at summer camp that were just uh, filled with sexual things that should have been going on. Yeah. Abuse. And basically assault. Yeah. So it's out there. It's it is. something that happens, I think, and has happened more frequently than we care to admit. And we, I don't think we want to know that it is happening. Right. Because we want to believe our kids are safe and that when you send them away and you pay 15 grand for a summer that they're going to be safe right. from predators. Yeah. But that's just not the case. And especially in the camp I'm talking about, being involved in a church, there's also that notion of inherent trust that comes along with that too and it's just the violation of in the most massive order of I mean of children it's just I would say the the biggest piece of advice that we can give people that are out there listening is if you're going to send your kids to summer camp talk with them about what appropriate behavior is and inappropriate behavior is and tell them that they can always talk to you they can always go to yeah. a certain person if somebody touches them inappropriately if somebody acts inappropriately if somebody does something that isn't right that there's always somebody that they can go to to report that and to talk that's a and safe they place try and tell you not to tell anybody that is a red flag yeah so i mean the biggest thing is educate yourself educate your children um, let them know, number one, what appropriate and inappropriate behavior is, and number two, that there's always a safe spot and a safe person that they can talk to yeah. to report these things. That's just yeah. hugely critical. And Darcy has some other things that we're going to link into the show notes to, to, to help as well, and numbers you can speak to if you feel like you or somebody you know has been abused in this way. Yeah. So anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? Uh, I don't, I mean, if, if there's anybody out there that's listening that has been a camper or a counselor at Canacook, please email us because I would love to have a conversation with you. I have reached out to some of these advocacy groups and some of these journalists. Um, again, I don't, I don't know anything specifically, but if I can be of any kind of service and talk about the camp in any kind of way that helps somebody, um, I want to do that. So if, if that's also how you feel, you can contact me and we can have a conversation and I, I can put you in touch with a couple of people. I mean, it sounds like the volume of people that experience this and went in and out of that is probably quite huge. And right. they might be quite overwhelmed by people that have come forward to say that they were there at the same time. So right. not surprising. Yeah. But if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can shoot us an email. We're at the BFD podcast at gmail.com. We will drop that into the show notes along with all the sources that we use for today. Uh, social media? 
Yeah, we are at the BFD podcast on Instagram. So we will post pictures of what this serene, ideal camp is supposed to be because, I mean, that's how they portray it. And it is beautiful. The, the Ozarks area of Missouri is, is absolutely gorgeous. And, and you can shoot us a DM, too, if you feel more comfortable with that. Absolutely. Um, we will be more than happy to respond to you in that medium and as Everything well. can stay anonymous. and Absolutely. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys.